Kim Thomas. Welcome. Thanks. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Kim. How long have you been coming to Genesis? We've been here since June of 07. June of 07. We moved 07. back from Chicago and came straight back here and landed at Genesis when Jeff and Kim were here. Okay, and you're one of our MVPs in the Gen Kids area. Well. Uh, and so uh, tell, tell us what you do in Gen Kids. I teach threes, fours, and fives, three okay. Sundays a month. You got, you're missing it because those kids are a riot, and they're so honest, and they're just so... And I have to brag on uh, Jared and April's little one. I saw you guys sitting around here. Addison. I, was in, I taught last Sunday, and some weeks you think, did anything I say get through to these little people? And last week I was in the bathroom, and April and Addie were in there, and, and I heard... And, of course, and they didn't know I was in there, but I heard April say, now, Addie, what did you learn in Sunday school today? And I heard, and I was holding my breath thinking, you know, somebody had a new dress or somebody lost a toy. I, you know, I didn't know what to expect. And I was just thrilled to death to know that Addison could tell what the story was about. I was like, yes, it's working. Well, my so kids I love do the same. I love it. We always ask them what they learn. And They're they, a ball. They're they just, always have some sort of answer. Yeah, well. But, uh, some answer is better than none, I guess. But it's fun. I, I love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, why do you love serving in Gen Kids? Well, you know, when I was married to Mike, we were in children's ministry for 10 years, pretty solid, mm -hmm. a, you know, 10-year uh, focus, really. And at that time, I really, and I, I believe that I was in, served in teaching preschool and coordinating girls' programs and different things that I did through those 10 years. And I really did it as Mike's helped me. I'm not sure that I felt particularly called to children's ministry, but at that point in season in my life, I knew it was the right place to be the right thing to do. This time, I just felt like there was a need, see a need, fill a need. It's from the Robots movie, if you haven't seen it. Um, see a need, fill a need. And there was a need, and I said to Carolyn, okay, I'll do it one week, because I've really spent the last five years doing very little in, of any sort of ministry, and I just felt like the Lord said, okay, you know, you can do this. You've done it many years before, and so you can do it. So one week turned into two and then to three, and they said, okay, you've got to go to church at least once. So yeah. that's, that's really why I do it. And they're just, I just love that age. I've, I've raised four of them, and I love that season of life when they're learning and exploring and learning God's word, and I want to be able to impart truth sure. to them. And they're, they're capable of grasping it. Cool. Believe it or not, they're capable. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Now, you have two daughters. Chrissy attends She's Evangel. a senior at Evangel University okay. in Springfield, Missouri, and that's her when she was about five. And then most of us probably know the little one there. Yes, she's changed a little. That's Kate, Kate, Katie, and she sings up here with the team occasionally, so I love that photo. Now, um, you also That's have... when they weren't very mouthy, and didn't... <laughs> the only opinion they had was mine. And then we've got a picture of you and Mark, uh, your husband. Yes, I'm married to Mark Thomas. Look at that hunk of a man right oh, there. Oh, he is. Yeah. Uh, Mark's one of our elders. Yes. And we're going to blame it on the weather, but we had a couple of pictures that didn't quite work out this morning. But you've yeah. got two boys. I have two boys. Colton. Colton is eight, and Connor is going to be five in March. Colton and eight. Okay. And how long have you and Mark been married? We've been married since July of 1999. Okay, July of 99. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now people are probably doing some math now, trying to figure out, okay, how does all this work out? Okay. But before Mark, 
Yes. It was actually Mike. Yes. And uh, we've got a picture uh, of you and Mike here, yep. uh, which just kind of leads us in to you telling us a little bit about your story. Okay. And so let's rewind 12, okay. 13 years ago, mm-hmm. and it actually begins, oddly enough, with a story about a pony. Yes. So tell us about the pony. Okay. Well, we were living in St. Joseph, Missouri. We were children's pastors, and we lived on an acreage. We were renting about a 200-acre set-aside farm, basically, so it was not being planted or anything at that time. And Mike had been raised on a farm and had horses when he was a kid and just felt like, you know, his girls needed ponies. So we bought these two horses for the girls, and Katie's was named Brownie, and he was rotten to the core, and Chrissy's was Rose, and she was probably the sweetest, most docile pony had ever come across. Now, I am not a horse person. It's, I, I know the front from the back, but that's all. <laughs> and... But it was, you know, the girls got some great entertainment out of it. They had friends over to ride the ponies and all that stuff. So that was really very fun. Well, about Labor Day of 95, um, about 4 o'clock in the morning, we got a phone call. And it was a highway patrol parked in our driveway. And we had, we lived kind of off the road, so it was a long lane. And he was parked just at the entrance of our lane. And he said, do you folks have a couple of horses? And I said, yes. And he said, well, this is state trooper so-and-so. And and they have gotten in the road, and one of them has been hit by a car. And I know this sounds really horrible, but I was really hoping it was Brownie. <laughs> because he was rotten, and I thought, if you have to take one, just take the rotten one. Um, but it was Rose. And Rose had been hit on the flank by the car. And thankfully, she wasn't going very fast because it was very foggy, and that's how she actually missed her because she had gotten in the road, and this gal was coming, heading to work as a nurse, um, and wasn't going very fast, but hit her and sent Rose into the ditch. Thankfully, nobody was hurt. She, the lady driving wasn't hurt. But for about a week, we nursed that horse. We fed it. We watered it. We had a vet come and look at her, and he said, you know, without some real extensive checking and testing and all that, we really don't know the extent of the injury here. Maybe she'll get up and maybe she won't. She couldn't stand. And so for a week, we had that horse right out my kitchen window I could see her laying in this little shaded tree place behind the garage and I was absolutely brokenhearted watching that horse try to get up I mean it was awful and Chrissy would go out there every morning before school and give her apples and sugar and carrots and everything you'd give a pony and love on her and I mean my heart was breaking and we were also praying for this horse I mean we were raised a you pray over everything, and you believe, and God's going to do it. So we were praying, thinking, okay, get on with it. And the week went by, and the vet had said, let's give her a week, and if, it's not, if she's not up, she's probably not going to get up. And so a week went by, and the day came when we sent Chrissy to second grade school that morning, and I told her, Rose will not be here when you get home. And I was livid with God. I mean, I just felt like, this was the biggest disappointment of my life. And honestly, up till that point, I had lived a pretty charmed life. I didn't have any death in my family. I didn't have any sickness. There was nothing earth-shaking happening. But I felt like God really let me down, and he certainly let down my child because I felt like we pray and we ask and we believe, and he does it. You know, you snap your fingers and God comes running and answers every prayer. And it just didn't happen. And I felt like I was just saying, you know, what gives? 
this was a, a, an animal for pity, pity's sake. You could heal her, thus restoring my child's faith in you. You know, I, th- I thought I had it all figured out, and I, you know, I kind of had the routine ready to go, and it didn't happen. And we had to put that horse down and, and bury her in the backyard. So that was really what started it. And I couldn't get through talking about that experience for weeks without just sobbing. And I think it was just, it was grieving for my child's loss and for her disappointment and my own disappointment in God that he really let me down. And a friend of, a dear, dear friend of mine said, you know, I really think God could be using this to prepare you for something else. Well, when you hear something like that, you kind of start making bargains. (laughs) Like, okay, if you're preparing me for something else, let's, maybe let's talk about what that might be. So then you start going down the list of telling God, okay, if you want to do this, okay, but don't go there. You know, you set your limits and you start making bargains and, you know, you can't hold God hostage with any of that. So we went along. And so this happened and then while this is happening, you're making plans, you and Mike and your daughters, to go to the mission field full yes. time. Yes. And where did you go? We were going to Lithuania. Okay, which is where? Which is somewhere in Europe. Somewhere in Europe, okay. <laughs> we couldn't find it on a map, but we know it's there. All right. It's actually Estonia, Lithuania, Latvia, or one of those orders, and it's a former communist country that was owned basically by the Soviet Union. And when the... the Iron Curtain fell, then Lithuania was the first country to really establish its own republic and break away and establish its independence. And so it was a really a, a pretty new mission field. And we had friends that were missionaries there and had really, uh, actually Mike, the summer of 95, the summer that we lost our horse, Mike had gone to Lithuania for two weeks and did children's crusades with our missionary friends there. And he came back just completely on fire. I mean, uh, and I knew he would. And he actually had had a, a burden about being a missionary for probably 11 years wow. leading up to that. And we've I was a, the holdout. We got a couple of pictures of Lithuania. Uh, McDonald's was one of the first people to get there yep. uh, after the Iron Curtain yep. fell. That and, was uh, Mike and the girls and our friend Julia, who at the time was 15. Her father was the president of the Pentecostal Union Churches of Lithuania. So a pretty elevated position for that time. And Julia helped interpret for us. We did not know the Lithuanian language. About the only thing we knew was, what is your name and how are you and where is the bathroom? And um, Julia actually, at 15 years old, knew five languages, wow. three of them fluent. And so she helped you with She helped like us with crusade. everything. Yes, she I helped. We've got a picture in, of one of the Interpret at the crusade. Doing. Yep. This was a, a, a picture of some of the kids that came, and we were there three days, three afternoons, and I would say probably 200 kids came through, and, um, you know, I got no way of knowing how that impacted them, but I, I know in my heart of hearts that there was a seed planted in those three days in somebody, because they heard the message of Christ, most of them for the very first time, ever. I mean, they wouldn't have known Jesus from John, and they heard the message of salvation, and I, you know, I believe someday we'll get to heaven and meet them. So you were planning on being there two years, is that right? We were right? going for two years. But yep. three weeks in, everything changed. Everything changed. We had um, picked up some friends of ours that were coming for a one-year assignment, and we met them at the airport, picked them up, and took them home to their, their apartment, and then we went back to ours. And I was fixing dinner, and, you know, during the day I had noticed Mike was just acting really wiped out. I mean, he just seemed tired and 
uh, at one point when we were helping Paul and Jenny, this other couple that we knew, um, get moved into their apartment, he said, I just feel really dizzy. I think I need to sit down. So he sat and took a drink of water, and we went on. Well, later that evening, we were at home, and I was in the kitchen, and he was in the living room, and the girls were playing around, and all of a sudden, he called my name in this panicked sort of voice, and I ran in the living room, and he was having a seizure, and it was mostly just his upper body, and it, his head was just seizing, and I mean, we're talking out of nowhere. I wasn't there was no way of being prepared for this. I had no medical experience. I didn't know what in the wide world was going on. But the only thing we needed to do was to pray. We just started praying. And I'm telling you, I've never heard little girls pray like my girls were praying. Wow. I mean, they were calling on God to, to help my daddy. And it was just a frightening, frightening moment. And this went on for several minutes. And I got Mike to the sofa. And interestingly, I... I didn't know what else to do, but we had a little tape player there, and I put a cassette tape in, and it happened to be Twyla Paris, and the song that came on was God is in Control. Now, you know, you could say coincidence, but I don't believe that. At that, that moment, that's what I needed to know, was that God was in control. Anyway, we got him to the hospital. I called Julia, who called the ambulance, and we lived in a, um, a nine-story apartment building, which they call flats. It was a, a three-bedroom flat. We lived on the seventh floor. And anything you've seen about Russian housing, it was like that. It was dirty. It was, it was just not maintained at all. Our apartment was very nice. It was very clean. Um, but the building itself was really run down. And the elevator was big enough for basically maybe, maybe six thin people to stand in. So there was no putting Mike on a gurney and taking him down the elevator. So the ambulance medics walked up seven flights of stairs with this, like a mash sling thing, made him lay in it, and they carried this 180-pound man down seven stories to this ambulance, took him to the hospital. We had met a family from uh, the States who were um, Christ for the Nations. They were there serving Christ for the Nations. They had four girls. We had met them previously while, after we had gotten there, and they took my girls home. So we went to the hospital. And long story short, they did a CAT scan and found a brain tumor, which obviously was causing the seizures. And um, that was pretty unexpected. Yeah. What was going through uh, when you had a chance to finally sit back and realize, okay, everything has now changed. You know, we're, we're probably not going to be in Lithuania for very long. What types of questions were you asking? Well, you can't, you, you, I think we live in sort of a bubble where you, you, you know things like that could happen, but you don't, it's that story, you know, could happen to other people, but not to me. And so you kind of go through that thing. You can't believe this has come to your door. And I was afraid. I was really afraid because there was this huge language barrier. I mean, thankfully, we had a few people that did speak very good English that helped us with that. But technically you had this huge misunderstanding communication thing going on here that was so vague and, and trying to answer questions and them trying to translate the right question and give the answers and, you know, all that whole thing. And I remember when the, we had a neurologist who had actually studied at Loyola, so he was a brilliant, brilliant doctor, um, pretty good with English, and we were sitting in the room, and also the hospital situation was everything you've seen on Russian TV about Russian hospitals. It was, I mean, ours here are the Hilton 
plus because it was just bare bones. And I remember the first night we were there, Mike had a seizure in the middle of the night. The room was pitch dark, no night lights, no light coming in from the outside, pitch black. And he was laying in this tw- this twin bed thing, and I was across the, on the other wall laying, not sleeping a wink, of course, and I could hear the bed start to shake, and I said, are you having another one? He said, yes. Well, I ran out to the hallway, and like our hospitals here, the nurse's station is always buzzing, the lights are dimmed but on, and you've got people in activity all over the place. But there was nobody. Uh, oh, there was nobody. There was barely a light, and I didn't know what door. I, was, I wanted to scream but I, I was afraid to wake up people, and I didn't know where the nurse was, and it was just like a tomb. But I went running up and down that hallway and just, you know, loud whisper, help me, somebody help me. I mean, I was just scared to death. Suddenly, out of somewhere, this nurse came, and she got on the phone and called the doctor, and he came out of somewhere, and they got him down to this other area and did some more testing. And So the neurologist brought me across the room, and, you know, I've watched enough medical TV. I know that when they bring you across the room, it's not good. Yeah. And they just said, we see a brain tumor, and typically what we think this is, it's coming from somewhere else, but we can't find it. We don't have the equipment or the technology to do that. We have, we're just telling you, you have to go home. Yeah. We can't help you. Okay, so you pack up everything. You go to Lithuania. You're, you're giving God your all. Seizure hits, brain tumor. Now, three weeks after you arrive, you're packing up the girls. You're on a plane, and you're back to the United States. And the States. dog. We had a and dog, dog with us, yes. And um, you go to Iowa. And yep. you go to Iowa in order to be close to the Mayo Clinic. Right. And then what do these next weeks look like after you get back to the United States? Well, we got into, we went to Iowa because that's where Mike's family lives. And that was the closest we could get to having a place to live close to Mayo. And that's where we end up going because it was the closest medical thing. And we knew, obviously, Mayo Clinic, it doesn't really get much better than that. And at the time, we just thought we were dealing with a head thing, you know. So neurology seemed to be the first step. And we got him checked into the hospital, St. Mary's Hospital, um, on Saturday night. It was about August 17th. And by Monday, they had diagnosed lung tumors. So the brain tumor had metastasized from the lungs. And at the time, they thought, we've got this one tumor. We're going to probably do surgery on Wednesday to get that out. Well, by Tuesday evening, they had found two more brain tumors. So basically, what we were looking at was stage four, which there is no stage five. Stage four is just a waiting game. Um, And they provided, you know, we were going to start radiation and chemotherapy and all of this stuff. So within from the time that mike had the seizure to basically one week later we knew it all pretty much knew it all and it was just rather surreal you know you just you can't believe you're in this position i remember when the uh, chaplain came in to see mike and i it was just like i expected him as a godly man to tell me why this was happening i mean i felt like I really felt like God owed us <laughs> yeah. because we had done all of this. You know, we had made all of our plans. God had worked miracles, and that's a whole different story about how we actually got to Lithuania in the, the time frame we did with the amount of money that we had does not happen. If you know anything about missionaries and raising money, it is not an overnight thing, but this was almost overnight. So it was like God went to all this trouble <laughs> to get us there, 
and then not to let us stay. And so it was just, I was mad. I was frustrated. I was, I was hurt, disappointed. And I was certainly afraid because I didn't want to raise my girls by myself. Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, they needed a dad, and I, I couldn't do that. Yeah. Now, you told me that, uh, I think it was one particular night, God gave you a verse, and he took you to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 3. And what was it that he taught you there? Well, leading up to that, I had a moment where I was, this was during when Mike was sick, the girls were gone. I slept a lot, so I know depression was part of the whole thing for me. And that was one of my ways of dealing with it. I slept and slept and slept. And this one particular morning, I was in my bed, and I was asking all the why questions. Why us? Why now? Why Mike? I mean, he's such a great guy. And why everything? Every why angle, I was covering it all. And I really know in my heart of hearts that the Holy Spirit spoke to me. It was not an audible voice, but it was so clear and he said, when you demand answers, you sacrifice peace. So I can demand all the, all the answers I want, but God is not obligated to answer any of them. He does not owe me an explanation. And so I was dealing with the faith issue about how much faith does it take to believe for a miracle. You know, we were told in Scripture, a grain of a mustard seed. Well, I had that. I, I thought I had that much. Plus, I had all these people all over the world praying for us. If, I, don't, I don't think faith was an issue here. It wasn't that we didn't have enough faith. It was trusting God with the outcome. Because like I said before, you can't hold God hostage and make him do something just because you interpret it one way. I just felt like it was time then to surrender all of this and that the faith part was believing God could. God has the power. He could heal him in an instant without anybody asking. But the trust part of it came to leave it in his hands, whatever happened after that. So the Daniel thing came when I was asking the Lord, okay, how do I reconcile all this with your word? I didn't want to start some new religion, you know, based on my thoughts or feelings and all that stuff. So really, and and I'm not, I don't consider myself a scholar in any way, but I really felt so directed right to Daniel 3. For some reason, I just picked up my Bible and I opened Daniel 3, started reading through it. Well, that chapter is when the Hebrew children were faced with the choice of bowing before King Nebuchadnezzar or burning in the furnace. And we all know that they chose to, to burn, to be thrown in. And what they said was, we know our God will deliver us. So they expressed their faith in God's power to deliver them one way or another. But then they followed it up by saying, even if he doesn't, we will still trust in him. And that's what I needed to confirm my own faith. I will believe him no matter what. I will believe that he is able but I will trust him with whatever happens. Because, see, the bottom line is it's all about eternity. And I knew that in my heart, that we're all faced with an eternity, and we're, we're, we have, you know, there's two options here. And I knew that if Mike was gone, that he probably, I mean, it would just be a matter of him beating us to heaven, that he's there, he got there first. He's always a competitive person, so he's really loving that. <laughs> and so I had to just kind of resolve, if you will, to believing that God cared enough about me to work out all the details, even if it wasn't in my plan, because it certainly was not in my plan. Not even close. Yeah. Well, it wasn't a prolonged situation. I mean, nine weeks later, Mm -hmm. 
you lost Mike. What, mm-hmm. what was that like? What were those final moments like? Um, well, we, he had had, uh, his chemo was scheduled once every three weeks on Monday. So we would drive up to Mayo, which was about four hours. We would drive up on Sunday evening. Uh, we had this little mom and pop hotel, motel that we stayed at every time. Great people. Um, went and stayed uh, Sunday evening, and then Monday morning he would start this routine of tests. And each, each time he would go, then they would do CAT scan and x-rays and blood work and all this to check and see what, if anything, the chemo previously had done to change the lung tumors. That's what they were working on. He had already done radiation on the brain tumors and had taken 10, 10 days straight of radiation on those. And he actually had one in the front, one on the side, and one in the back someplace. And so operating wasn't an option because you can't do three brain surgeries, basically. So um, he had had a, a chemo session on Monday. This was the Monday before Halloween. And um, the, the oncologist just was not very hopeful. I mean, he just said, we're basically giving you the, the best recipe we have. There is nothing more. We're going to go ahead and do the other two, but I'm not hopeful because I, I just don't see any changes. And if there's going to be, we should have already seen something. And it wasn't moved. It wasn't smaller. It wasn't anything. It was just still there. And Mike, you know, he always had this attitude of, I mean, he left Lithuania with every belief that he was going back. He did not waver from that at all because his philosophy was God wouldn't go to so much trouble to get us there and not let us go back. And um, so he just said, well, I guess it's just going to take a little longer than I thought. That was what his attitude was to the doctor. And so we went home. And as the week progressed, he just got sicker. I mean, it was just, and I, I, it was just hard. You know, he just didn't didn't have any energy and he was really sick and and started looking pasty and it just the girls kept going to school they were in school with their cousins and it was very secure there with our family and on Friday morning November 1st um, actually I had called my mom a couple of days before and asked her to come up and I don't know why I really but I just felt like I needed my mom there so she drove up from Kansas City and was with us and November 1st on Friday um, Mike was in bed and he had he had said goodbye to the girls um before they left for the bus and just within probably i'm going to say within half an hour of them of the girls leaving i heard him call me in this panicked voice and i ran in there and he said i can't breathe i can't breathe and so basically for the next 30 minutes my mom was praying over him I was running to make phone calls to get an ambulance, and we lived in Lynn Grove, Iowa, which barely has earned a spot on the map. It's, I mean, it's like no town really anymore at all. Um, so 20 minutes minimum for the ambulance to get there. And so I called my sister-in-law, and she got the ambulance going. I got my in-laws there. And so we had a bunch of people that finally ended up there with us at the house, and all the time Mike was fighting for breath. He was fighting for breath. It was just like suffocating, really. And I would say probably within about half an hour, um, he was gone. And it was awful. It was just awful. And watching that happen, I mean, I was so glad the girls weren't there to have to remember all of that. But uh, I knew in my heart of hearts that Mike was gone before the ambulance got there. My sister-in-law's an RN. She tried CPR, and there was just nothing happening. And, and they did the paddles and the, everything they knew to do. But I knew when they took him, he was gone. And so we got to the hospital, and thus began the next thing. 
It's amazing how everything changed so quickly for your family. And this was November 1st of 1996? Yes. And so, you know, you had his death and then telling your daughters, as I can only imagine how difficult that was, and then the funeral service with all of the friends and family that came, and the memorial service with, when you said over 800 people mm -hmm. attended. Mm -hmm. But then everybody kind of goes home, mm -hmm. and now it's you and, and two little girls. Mm -hmm. um, where, where did God's strength come in for you at this point? And I think when you're going through something like that, even, even during the sickness part of it, um, the really critical thing for me was not shutting myself off from people. I mean, you, I think as human beings, we have a tendency to just shut it all off and say, get out of my face. I don't want you talking to me. And there was that temptation, but thankfully, you know, I, I talk enough. I had to have an outlet. <laughs> and uh, really a lot of therapy, if you will, came for me through email. And I, would, I could get up in the middle of the night when I, couldn't talk, when I couldn't talk to somebody and I couldn't sleep. I could get up and just, I mean, smoke was flying out of that keyboard. And I literally, you saw it, I have a stack about like that of emails sent and exchanged with people. And I would get email responses from people in countries I couldn't even pronounce that had gotten the word, we're praying for you, we're praying for you, we're praying for you. Wow. So my outlet and my therapy was talking, even in that medium. It wasn't maybe verbal, but it was... I was still getting out my thoughts, and nobody could interrupt me, and nobody could tell me, oh, now, come on, you know. I wasn't being judged. I wasn't being criticized. I wasn't being preached to. Um, but just not shutting myself off from my family. I was there with Mike's parents, with his brothers and his sister, very, and I'm still very close to them today. So they were all part of our daily life. I went back to school. I took a couple classes at a community college. Um, I traveled some. I was in the process of being, getting a job in Missouri, and I ended up buying a house. And so I just stayed busy. I just chose to not shut off my world. Mm -hmm. I couldn't, you just can't afford to do that. The spiritual side of things, I prayed a lot. I didn't always hear, because sometimes God is always at work, even if you can't see him or hear him. He's always working. But sometimes you just have to be quiet to hear that and to see it. So I was praying a lot. I was reading a lot. I was writing and journaling. Um, and the email thing, of course, was ongoing. And so that, for me, was critical in surviving it, if you will, and just letting people pour into my life. You know, I was just determined that God is in control of this. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. So my, my peace is in that. My rest sure. is in that. Kim's story really is very amazing, and I know that some of you probably have heard more of the details, and I've had the opportunity to hear some of the stories that we don't have time to, to share today. But, but there's one thing that I want Kim to be able to, to say to all of us this morning, um, because I know that there are people here today who either are going through some junk right now in their life. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like the earthquake is hit, and they're still living in the midst of the aftershock. But there's also some people here today that have experienced the pain and they've got the scars and the scars still really hurt. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I can't help but look at you, Kim, and, and hear your story. And, I mean, there's just incredible maturity and growth. And I'm sure there were a lot of sleepless nights and a lot of nights of tears and of doubting and, and probably just yelling at God even. Mm -hmm. But you've come this far now. And, and so we, we see this strong woman and, and God's blessed you and your family. And so here's a question that I, I'd like for you to answer, actually. There's two parts to it, but it's for the people that are sitting here this morning. The first is, what would you say 
to the person that's living in the aftershock of maybe some really bad news, whether it be a, a health situation, maybe a conflict with a spouse or a parent, um, maybe it's just losing a job. What would you say to that person that's right in the middle of the aftershock? How, how could you encourage them? I think your faith has to be beyond yourself. Your faith has to be beyond yourself. And if we don't have hope, we really have nothing. And God is sovereign. None of this takes him by surprise. I was reading Jim and Pam's blog. God is not surprised by cancer. He is not surprised by the loss of a job. He is not surprised by anything that rocks our world. But our hope lies in trusting him with how that's going to work out. We, we can try to look as far ahead as we want because I tend to be, I call myself a destination person. I want to be where I'm going. I want to get to the end of it, but I don't want the part that has to take me there. I don't like the journey. And when Mike was sick, I said, God, just just tell me if he's going to make it or not make it, and then I'll deal with whatever happens in between. Just tell me how the story ends. It's like when you're reading a book. You want to read, if it's a good ending, I'll read the book. If it's a crummy ending, I'll just let you have it back. And that's how I really wanted it to go. Well, I don't have a crystal ball. I can't see the future. And my, my perspective is that God is the ultimate and the, the supreme cartographer. He drew the map of my life. He saw all the difficulties. He saw all the, the valleys. He saw the hills. He saw the detouring. He saw the mistakes that I would make because I didn't prepare in a certain way for certain things or take advantage or opportunity of things that could have helped me down the road someplace. But I, I have to trust God for the outcome. You know, God doesn't want our comfort. He wants us to be comfortable because he's loving, but he's not after our comfort, but he is after our maturity. He's looking for things that will bring us closer to him, and he doesn't owe us anything, and I had to come to that conclusion. God doesn't owe me anything. You know, Job had that argument with him, and you know who won? It wasn't Job, and I didn't win it either. I just knew I had to surrender all of those questions and doubts and hurts and anger. You know, I think God is big enough to handle your anger, and I think you have to get it out, whether it's punching something, not someone, (laughs) something. Chrissy uh, had a counselor for a while, and she was told to make a face, uh, like a smiley face or a frowny face, put it on her pillow, and punch the daylights out of that thing. (laughs) So whatever you got to do, but I think God... expects uh, expects that of us as humans. And so I would just say you have to keep focused on God, you have to keep praying, and you have to let people in. You have to take counsel from people who care about you and who are leading you toward God and not away from him. Last question would be, there was probably a point where you had to decide, I'm not going to be bitter, you know. I'm going to allow God to heal me. And reality is that there are probably some people here today that are just really caught up in that bitterness, whether they're disappointed with God or they're just angry or feel like it's never going to get any better. What would you say to the person here today that it still really hurts and it's been a long time? How would you encourage them towards healing? Well, I don't want to be flippant about it because it is a very serious emotion, and I certainly was there, and I have been there many times. But what good does it do you? What I mean, you have to be rational about this to a degree and set the emotional part aside of it. You have to say, what am I gaining? I'm not gaining any peace. When I demand answers and when I'm ticked off at God, I'm not having any peace. 
I'm in constant turmoil and anxiety, which affects not only me, but my relationships, affects my work, it affects everything about my life. The bitterness does not only affect you. And you've heard the saying that bitterness and unforgiveness is like swallowing rat poison and expecting the rat to die. Well, you just have to be reasonable about some of this. And you have to make choices. You have to say, I am going to rise above this. I am not going to let this destroy my life. Because, you know, for me, I had two children. And I thought, by golly, I am not going to just lay down and die i got to move on. There are great things in store. This is just a brief moment in time compared to eternity. Mike beat us there, but we're going to be there too. The bottom line is eternity and making the most of now and today. You cannot be guaranteed tomorrow. None of us have that. But we have today, and we can make a choice, and we can say, I will surrender it. The hurt, yes, I am mad as I'll get out. I am hurt. I don't get it. I don't understand it but I give it to you, and you know what? Sometimes God just fixes it like that, and sometimes it's a process. Sometimes it means talking to people and talking to people and talking to people. I can't emphasize that too much because I think that's a critical part of healing is talking about it and getting it out and really praying about it and journaling because it's in those journaling moments where you can just say it all, get it out there, and it's still God sees because it's coming from your heart, you know, and it gets out there. So... I just think it boils down to choosing. Choose you this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, we chose to serve the Lord. And thanks be to God, my girls are loving the Lord and, and they're solid and they're, they're facing real life in the real world. And I think, I believe they're stronger for all of yeah. this. You know, yeah. I have to believe there's a great purpose in store for them. Yeah. as they share their own experience and their perspectives on all of this because certainly theirs are going to be different than mine. Yeah. Sure. Will you join me in just thanking Kim for her story? I think the hard part is that every single one of us would love to ask God, why do we have to go through the pain? Why do we have to go through the suffering? And really, on this side of heaven, the only thing that we have to turn to is to turn to the Bible for truth uh, and the encouragement of, of others and the stories of what they've gone through. I, I was just thinking about this this morning, and and God took me to Psalm chapter 34, verse 18, that says this. It's a great promise for each of us. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, that scripture verse does not answer why we have to go through what we go through. But the promise is a promise right. of hope, and that is right. that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. That's right. Um, here's how we, we want to kind of wrap things up this morning. Just acknowledging and knowing that there are some people here today that are just really going through some junk right now in their life. And, and it could be the loss of a loved one. It could be the brokenness of a marriage. It could be um, some financial pain. It could be a loss of a job. You define it. it it's totally your call. Right. We wanted to end with just some prayer time this morning, and then we're going we're gonna to sing together and, and share some communion as we wrap up. But, but here's what we're going to do. And I know this may feel a little awkward, but we don't want anyone to feel awkward at all. I want to invite you this morning, if you just like to simply be prayed for, um, you're not, we're not going to ask you to tell your story or to fess up with what's going on, but I'm going to invite you in just a second to stand up where you are, just to acknowledge, I just want to know that my church is praying for me. And uh, we're just going to take a moment where we're all going to stand together here as a church and just kind of surround one another, and Kim and I are going to pray, uh, and then we're going to worship together. 
But um, if you're here today and in any way the Spirit's been working with you and you just need to say, I, I just need to be prayed for today, um, I'm going to invite you to stand right now wherever you are. And I don't want you to feel awkward about it. I'm not going to call you by name or anything. But just stand up wherever you are in your seat right now. Just go ahead and do that. Thank you. Just all around the room. If God's working in you and you just need prayer here this morning, just stand up. Just stand up. Keep standing. Don't be afraid. Thank you. Thanks for having the courage to do that. Now, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Uh, I'm going to ask for everyone to stand, but, but see who they are around you right now. And I just want you to just lay a hand on a person that's close to you. So if someone's standing, just stand up right now and put a hand on their shoulder. We'll all stand together. Uh, it, it's just a sign of unity. It's a sign of strength that we're all praying for one another, that God's here, that God's present. Just, just put an arm on a shoulder uh, of somebody around you. I'm going to ask Kim to pray, and, and then I'll, I'll conclude with prayer. Father God, we love you. We want to love you, and sometimes it's so difficult to say those words when we face things that we feel are unfair or just unreasonable or we didn't ask for it. I didn't sign up for this. I don't know why I'm here. But God, we know that you are a loving God, that you are always right, that second-guessing you never pays off. I pray for my friends here this morning that are struggling to navigate through waters that are uncertain, that are cold and dark and treacherous and life-threatening and just fearful. And I just pray in the name of Jesus that you would ease their fears, that you would replace that fear with peace, with the peace that passes understanding that comes only from your spirit. I pray, God, that they would sense peace in their heart that brings joy, that brings hope, that no matter what the circumstance, that you will bring them through it, you will bring them through stronger, that they will get a sense of eternity in all of this, that we live our lives, God, to glorify you and to be vessels that you can shine through. I pray that you would give them courage to take the steps they need to, to find hope and encouragement and help, that above all things, that you would give them peace, that you would give them rest and courage and strength that their bodies would just be in tune with you and that you would fill them, God, in a way that they've never experienced before. I pray that they would ask you for every good gift and that you would honor that prayer, God, by blessing their lives and just giving them peace as they walk through this. Sometimes, God, you calm the storm and sometimes you calm the child. And I pray today that whatever way you choose to work, that they would trust you that they would put their life in your hands and know that you are a safe, safe God. You are always, always, always good. I pray it in Jesus' name. God, we find courage and strength in knowing that you know all of the details of every situation of life. Uh, you know what we've faced. You know what lies ahead. And we thank you also, Lord, for the truth found in Psalm 34 that says that you are close to the brokenhearted. And God, I do believe with all of my heart that there are people here in this room this morning, Lord, who have a broken heart. And for some, it's new. Uh, it's just happened, and it's still very fresh. But for others, Lord, it's been such a long period of time, but it doesn't matter because that wound is still so very fresh in their life. God, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, as you have promised, that you would be close today. I pray that you would just show up in the seat next to these people right now, Lord, and that you, would, that you would put your arm around them, that you would encourage them and give them the strength that they need to believe that you are capable of all things and that you will do as you have promised that you will do. God, would you walk with them each step of the way? 
God, would you put people in their life to encourage them and to give them strength, God. May they find uh, a strength and a comfort by being a part of this church and being in community with others. God, would you provide for all of their needs. God, would you give them the courage, Lord. And Lord, would you help them to trust in you. God, you know all the answers to all of the great questions, and we know that the greatest answer of all was Jesus Christ. And would you just remind us of his love and his, his sacrifice his forgiveness, and his redemption for every single one of us. We offer up this prayer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.